Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is August the 10th, 2021, and this is episode 2932 of the Survival Podcast, and I've got a great one for you today. Interview day, Tuesday. Tim Toolman Cook is going to come on. <clears throat> We're not going to talk about tools that much, though. We're going to talk about building a content creation business. That's what this business is. And it's one of the most successful growth sectors for small entrepreneurs and big entrepreneurs alike in the world today. I, I, I don't think people realize the type of lifestyle freedom that can come from doing this. And it's certainly not something everybody's going to do. But I think this is going to be one of those shows that you will definitely learn things from, and it will change your perspective if you'll give it a shot. I'll have Tim on in just a moment, and we will uh, we'll dig deeply into this topic today. Before we do, let's go ahead and take care of our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is KnifeKits.com. KnifeKits.com is the site to go to to get started with knife making, and they make it easy. They make it so easy, even an idiot like me can do it, right? You don't have to be Tim Toolman Cook to build a knife. Anybody can build a knife, because if you start with a kit, you're doing basically final fit and finishing of the scales, sharpening of the blade, maybe making a sheath for it. You can do that. They have stuff to do with leather sheets, kydex sheets, you name it, they've got it, but if you've progressed to the level of even being a master bladesmith, you can get things like mammoth tusk for handle making. How about uh, Cape Buffalo Horn? Damascus Steel, they've got everything. So whether you're deep into this, you're forging your own blades, etc., or you're just getting started, you want to check out KnifeKits.com. Next up today, FSP, that would be the Free State Project, and I'll tell you where you should go. You should go to a website, fsp.org, but then put a little slash there, for fsp.org forward slash visit an H, and you will learn how you can take a vacation, meet some really awesome people, and check out and vet the Free State Project and see if relocating to New Hampshire is right for you. You should really check these guys out. I've been working with the Free State Project since two. 2009. I've spoke at Liberty Forum three times for them. Um, they've been a, uh, a sponsor on and off through the years. I've given them sponsorships. I've donated money to them. They're probably the organization that I've done the most to support out there, even though I'm not moving to New Hampshire, because I believe Liberty Anywhere is good for Liberty Everywhere. Check them out again, fsp.org forward slash visit NH. With that, let's get Tim on, but I wanted to start out with a quote of the day today for you. And I wanted to talk about success because what Tim and I are going to talk about today is a formula for success in the world of content creation. And there's a lot of options. Tim's mostly a YouTuber. You know, I'm mostly a podcaster. We have people doing blogging, uh, people that are out using um, blogging platforms like Substack. There's people that are successful using platforms like Instagram uh, or a lot of the new alternative platforms that are great for putting out content, Odyssey, uh, etc. And there's so many options out there. And that's what we're going to dig into. And you don't have to necessarily be doing what I'm doing or Tim's doing from a platform standpoint. There's lots of ways to do this. But if you're going to do it, you're looking for success. 
Robert Collier had a great quote about success. He said, success is the sum of all the sum of small efforts repeated day in and day out. That's true across the board. It's so true that it's one of those things you tell people, success is the sum of small efforts repeated day in and day out, and they roll their eyes. Everybody says that. Well, everybody says it's because it's true. But I don't think there is a place where it's more true than in the modern world, online content creation. Nothing you do on any one day is going to make you successful. It sounds like bad news. It's actually good news. Because nothing you do on any one day is going to make you a failure. It's being willing to be there over and over and over again. And there's something Tim will say several different ways during this interview several times over and over again. And that is basically that being consistent will not guarantee your success. But being inconsistent will absolutely guarantee your failure. And when I heard him say that, the, kind of the second time he, he phrased it a little bit differently on this interview, I like I know the quote of the day I'm doing today. That's where this came from. With that, let's go ahead and introduce expert council member, longtime listener of the show. Guy's been part of the community like 10 years or so. Tim, the tool man cook. Hey, Tim, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, well, thanks for having me back. It's been uh, what, about 16 months. I look back, it was April yeah. last time, and I always appreciate being on with you, Jack. Yeah, I mean, you've been a really great help to this audience as part of the Expert Council. I've been loving watching you build uh, your content-based business. We're going to be talking about that today. But for people that maybe were hiding under a rock, maybe they just haven't been listening very long and they don't know who or what a Tim Cook is, <laughs> uh, who, who is Tim Cook and ha how did you kind of get into doing what you do now? Well, sure. Uh, and I'm the real Tim Cook, unlike the other guy who runs Apple. So, uh, <laughs> But, you know, a lot of people might know me as Toolman Tim at this point uh, with my uh, workshop uh, YouTube content creation thing. But uh, before that, uh, I, was a, I am a handyman. I run a handyman business up here in the frozen tundra that is East Central Alberta. Uh, it gets real cold and real hot here. I've been uh, doing that full time for three years, uh, another one year part time before that. Um, married to a wonderful wife, Becky. We have five kids, two of whom still live at home. And, you know, basically spent my entire life, especially, you know, our first 10 years of married life where things were a little tight and ah, more than a little tight. You know what I mean? Basically had to learn how to do everything myself, had to make things stretch further than they were, had to keep the life of tools going a lot longer than they ever needed to be or ever respectively should have been and so basically just kind of learned how to keep things going and i've kind of slid that into my handyman business and then of course uh, into the workshop and the uh, the youtube channel as well so how does one get into becoming a content creator what what kind of are you know, the first steps and what kind of made you want to do that rather than to just continue the the, the business of being a handyman well I, you know it's I love teaching. I've always been, I, I love explaining things to people. Uh, I kind of love the sound of my own voice sometimes too. So, you know, I guess that helps when you're in this sort of thing. But, you know, I felt like I had a lot to share. I, I, I found more success than I expected to in my handyman. Not that I expected to, but it came a lot quicker maybe than I thought might have. And I'd learned a lot. And I thought, you know what? I have made a ton of mistakes, a ton. Why don't I share with everyone else? all those mistakes I made so that they don't have to make them and maybe kind of help them jumpstart some of their stuff. And I mean, as you know, 
I started it as a 10 part series on growing your handyman business. And it's really morphed into a tool review channel, a preparedness channel, and still, uh, with a bent toward financial freedom and independence toward, you know, entrepreneurship. And, you know, your other question on how does one become a content creator? I, I, you wake up and you choose to. I mean, everything that you want to do is something that you have to choose, you know, it, and if you decide you want to be and you're waiting for permission, you're waiting for someone to say, Hey, it's okay for you to do that. Well, I'll give you permission. It's okay. But literally it's the same as becoming a handyman. First off, you have to decide that you want to become one. And then you got to put in all the hard work beyond that, uh, you know, step by step, a little bit of improvement every single day. But yeah, the first step is to definitely choose to start and then start experimenting from there. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that like the world of content creation is the ultimate duocracy. Like people say, well, how did this person get really successful? And some some people, like you and I, probably look at them and go, holy crap! I mean, they're phenomenally successful in in, in just about every niche or, or walk of life. But so far, best I can tell, none of these people tend to be kind of made by the system. They're made by effort and some luck. Um, to you know, kind of both of those go together. But you know, I look at a guy like uh, the guy that does the Google Foods channel. He's got like 1.7 million subscribers, and he's just quirky. But he just went out and did it. He didn't. He didn't like go. Hey, is it okay if I do this? And you know, you're going to have whatever level of success you have, but. You will not become successful. It will not happen. No one will make you. It's not like it's kind of like uh, becoming a little bit of a celebrity, right? But it's not like the old days where like some producer walked into a designer and saw some hot blonde and then made her successful. Like it's something you kind of really have to do on your own. Absolutely, and you know, I I look back about sixteen months ago when I started, and you know, there was a lot of other people who were. Like, hey, I want to be a content creator at the same time. And, and, you know, they started at the same time. And other than one that I can think of, nobody's still doing it. It's a lot of hard work. It, you know, I almost, I almost get a little bit mad when people are like, oh, look, your channel's just blown up. Look, look how lucky you are that, you know, and I'm like, you, you know, there's a ton of hard work that goes on behind it. And, and one of my big things is, you know, I don't have a lot of time for excuses. You know, people, there's always those, you find those really good YouTube channels. There's really good content creators and you're like, Oh, this is awesome. And I watch four or five of their videos and then nothing comes out for six months. And then they make an apology video where they're like, I'm so sorry. Life got in the way. And then they make three more videos and then you don't see them again. And if, if you can't put out regular content and, and I'll say just because you put out regular content doesn't mean you'll succeed, but, if you don't put out regular content, it's almost a surefire. It, it does mean you won't, right? It does yes. mean that you won't. Like that, cause there are people that are very consistent with content and, you know, either they just don't catch on or they're just not good and they don't make themselves better. Um, but it, but yeah, I, I notice a direct correlation between growth even at this point and activity. And I think everybody will notice that. It's just a matter of, well, how much of it will there be? But I, I agree with you. I guarantee you, if you do nothing, it won't grow. And then I think a lot of us that do YouTube content specifically, you hit, like, one or two videos that end up being, like, that video that goes and it starts to pull people in and, you know, Three years after you made it, it's still getting traffic. We were talking before you got on about one of mine about the DeWalt charger. Like, I get 
freaking couple thousand views a week on that video, and it's like five years old. You know, but if you don't have a a catalog of regular content, even the people that find that video, they're not subscribing to you. Like to me, I think that that people today are more guarded with their time than their money. So I'm not going to invest time in you if you don't invest time in yourself. Absolutely, I you know you. And I mean, I don't want to sound big feeling or anything, but um, when I put together a collaboration a while back, you know, the first thing I looked at was it didn't matter to me how big or how small um, the channels were or anything like that. It was all about have you, do you have a track record of putting together regular content on a regular basis? And if you don't, it you know, I, that's just to me one of the signs that you're willing to put in the hard work to find that success, you know. And, and as far as like one of those money making videos, I, that tri-fuel Furman generator that I got at Costco, it was a big, you know, a fairly big investment, but <laughs> those videos I've made two centering around it already. They've almost paid for that generator. And I think I've maybe had the generator for five months and my, my channel's not huge yet. So yeah, th those one or two, uh, kind of funneling videos are really important. And it seems like, I mean, You know, nobody can ever explain how these algorithms work or how these big tech companies work, but it seems like once you get it, number one, you got to be putting out regular content. And then once you have some of those funnel videos, they just keep working their magic. You know, they, those two videos account for half my views and probably half my new subscribers every week. So yeah, it's important. So, you know, you've built. Your content around your lifestyle. You're a handyman. You built a handyman channel. I've done that to a degree. I think personally, my my YouTube, uh, you know, subscriptions suffer in that since I'm all over the map. I've noticed most YouTubers that are really successful, they have a thing. Like I mentioned, Guga. Well, he's cooking meat, right? Um, you know, or you like Corey from Aquarium Co-op. He does fish. They do one thing. It's a homestead channel or whatever. How important do you think it is to stay kind of tightly niched? And how important do you think it is that you maybe build that niche around something that's already in your life? Because I think that can go two ways in that I know when I started doing YouTube videos, well, I'm like, I'm going to do this anyway, so I'll just video it. Okay, now it's eight times more work than just doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I think it can bite both directions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first off, I guess, you know, building building content around what you do. I mean, it, it's kind of like hiring somebody and teaching somebody how to do a job. It takes a lot more work early on, but the dividends pay off down the road. And like and yes, it, it does tend to take a little bit longer uh, to film something that you normally wouldn't be filming, you know, but. I find that the more a person does it, a little bit quicker you get, you know, you're like, oh, I'll take a little B-roll footage here for this review. And then you're always, you know, your mindset's kind of always wrapped around the things that you're doing. And you're like, this will make a good video or, or that part will make a good video. And I find that kind of helps. Like, yeah, it's a little more work, but the easiest thing in the world for someone to talk about is something, I guess, two, one that you're passionate about and two, something you're an expert on. And if it's something you're doing on a regular basis, then, you know, being able to come up with new video ideas, being able to talk about something you already know about kind of becomes second nature. You know, if I wanted to start, say, a movie review channel, well, now all of a sudden I have to earmark myself time every single week to watch movies. And then I, and, and if that's your passion, you're already doing it. Great. But for me, you know, I like movies, but I don't, you know, religiously sit down and watch one every week 
with the intention of taking notes and, and making videos about it. But something I do do is I use tools on an absolutely regular basis. So, you know, right now I, I got a pair of uh, safety sunglasses from Crossfire that I'm using and it was just a matter of swapping out my normal ones, putting those ones on and using them on a daily basis and just keeping a mental note of the things that I like about them, the things I don't like about them. And then, you know, um, I had, um, a guy from Diablo sent me a care package full of a bunch of Diablo tools. And so the last time we had a windstorm, instead of grabbing my chainsaw, I grabbed my reciprocating saw with the 12 inch uh, Diablo pruning blade. And I went out and did that. So as long as you always have those, that mindset of there's opportunity out there and you can work it in, it might take 10% more, but it's a lot faster and a lot more efficient than trying to do something totally new or totally outside the box that you don't normally deal with, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. You have a lot to unpack there. So the one I'd like to kind of hit on is the concept of expert. And I think that most people have some humility, so they don't like to use the word expert in regard to themselves. But you, if you're going to be successful with content creation, I think over at least over time you have to establish that. Like I've seen a lot of people that I really would say, if you look at the beginning of their their content creation, they weren't an expert, and mm-hmm. they kind of took people along the journey. And, and I think one thing, if you have the ability to do that, that's magic. That's like any content business. The early days are like your infant baby, like, you know, when you can take care of it and it needs a nipple or whatever. Like, and that's like amazing. And like, you'll never have that magic again that you do in the beginning. You really won't. Like, where people see themselves as part of your success because once you become successful, people just see you as another person that's successful and they get less vested in your success than when you're starting out. Uh, but the other side is the expert thing. I think we need to be clear about what expert means to a person. To a person looking to learn a thing, an expert is someone that knows more than they do and can explain it in a way that they can understand it, that they can learn from, from on a regular basis. Like that is, that is expertise in your niche. That doesn't mean that somebody's not a better expert. I've talked about this before with like people think a polymath is like being a Leonardo da Vinci. Like there's one Leonardo da Vinci in, you know, each epoch in history. Like but if you're a martial artist, you don't have to be Chuck Norris to be a martial artist. You don't have to be the most premier expert in the world to have expertise in, in an area. And I think what makes an expert in this world valuable isn't what they know. It's what they're able to convey in a way mm-hmm. that people get it, that people understand it, get it, and trust it. Like, that's way more, you have, because you, I know you've, you've had to meet people, I certainly have in my life, you're like, this, this MFR is smart as shit, <laughs> don't have a freaking clue what he's talking about, and sometimes it's, they're so busy mentally flexing to look smart that they can't teach, but I mm-hmm. think a lot of time it is, just because you know a thing doesn't mean you know the teaching skill. The, the right. transfer of knowledge, that's thats the expertise people are looking for. As long as you know more than me and you can make me understand it, that's what I'm looking for. And, you know, the whole expert thing, like you, you can – that's a relative term like you said. You know, I mean, the, are there people out there that know more about tools than me? You want to believe it. You know, like – immensely amount more than me. There's people in my audience that uh, follow me. I, I get, I learn from them every single day. And, you know, an expert number one is 
someone who is always learning. So you're, you're always learning a little bit more about something and you're improving and hopefully you can take the people along on your journey for that. But you also do need to project a level of expertness. Is that the right word? <laughs> but, um, I think competence, right? Yes. Maybe that's yeah, the com- word. Absolutely. And you don't, like you said, you don't start out, you, you might be an expert yourself, but you may, may not be able to convey that right away. And you, part of developing a content creation is learning how to convey that, um, confidence and being an expert as well. And, but you also need to find ways to prove that you're an expert. So, you know, you, the more content you put out there and the more, uh, top quality content, breakdowns of tools, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, here's, here's a little story that you, you might not know all of, and it's kind of cool, but I mean, you need to find ways to be considered an expert. And I, I suppose, you know, being on the expert council would make a person and, you know, an expert, but <laughs> you got to make the most of your opportunities, right? So last year, last February, before I was on your show in April, I was on Nicole's show, Living Free in Tennessee. And, you know, you always get a, a little bit of time before and after to just shoot the breeze with, with the host, of course, right? And so at the end of the episode, I said to Nicole, I said, Nicole, what do I need to do to get on the expert council? And she said, just keep putting out top quality content, you know, make yourself an expert in what you do. And she said, I can't promise anything, but if you do that and then, you know, make the most of your opportunities, it might just happen. I mean, there was nothing there, of course. And then, you know, in April, when I had the opportunity to chat with you, of course, I I wanted to give my interview and knock it out of the park. And I knew I'd hopefully have maybe five minutes to, again, just kind of shoot the breeze with you. And I I knew I was going to make my pitch. And of course, you said uh, at the end, I'm like, hey, Jack, I would love to be on the expert council as a handyman tool kind of guy. And, you know, it it seemed like something you might be interested in. And of course, you give me a, a short notice trial and come back to you real quick. And, you know, so the whole idea is getting out there and not just putting yourself out as an expert, but putting yourself in the situations where you can uh, further your uh, your potential and becoming an expert. It, 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 that kind of clarifies it a little. Yeah, I think what we're seeing today with these new on-ramps, I guess, to recognition is an expansion of, like, the Tim Ferriss formula from 4-Hour uh, Workweek, mm. right? So, like... There's so much more leverage in being on podcasts, being on YouTube, and, 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 and writing online articles. But, like, his original thing, if I remember right, was, like, join two or three uh, trade organizations that are around the area of your expertise. And then, read, like, find the two, three, four best-selling books in your niche and read them cover to cover a couple times, right? And then go out and, like, do a seminar. And, like, so what you do is you... You go to a university and you say, I can do a free seminar on. And they'll let you do it because they have plenty of facilities for that. And, you know, like, well, you must know what you're talking about. You wouldn't do it. So now you've lectured at, you know, University of Texas or A&M or whatever. Uh, and then, like, do some seminars, like, for some companies. So reach out to, like, IBM or, you know, somebody. And just to be a little branch office somewhere and say, uh, I, you know, have expertise in this thing. Come and do a free uh, lunch and learn for your – and then you end up building, like, this this CV, you know, of lectured at universities and, you know, write a couple magazines published in and, you know, join things like HARO and, and ProfNet, which are um, organizations the press use to get comments uh, on things and, and get featured in a few things, and next thing you know, anybody looking you up is like, oh, this guy's a freaking expert. 
Well, mm-hmm. fine, but in all due fairness to Tim Ferriss, it's kind of bullshit, right? It really is. It's just <laughs> bullshit, right? It's bullshitting your way into perceived expertise where when you're on YouTube, if you're an idiot, not only do you show up as an idiot, but there will be a giant train of contents explaining to you in very specific terms what kind of idiot you are, right? Uh, so, like, you have to actually develop, again, I think it's that ability to transfer your knowledge. Because there are people that, is this person an expert? If you mean mastery of the knowledge, absolutely. Are they useful as an expert to someone who's not? No. No, because they're they're sitting there, you know, every fifth word has nine syllables in it or whatever. And I, I think a lot of those people, they're mentally flexing. And they're always, like, I've even seen people in, in places that you wouldn't expect it, like permaculture, so worried about never looking like somebody in an audience knows more than they do, that they're so busy trying to protect their image that they're not useful as a teacher. So I think there's validity to the marketing side of what, like, Ferris says, but I think that doing it in this real world, and I know the virtual world and the real world seem separate, but it is a real world because everybody hears us. Everybody gets to create. And, like, you know, you if you fucked something up two years ago, it's still there. It's, it's, it's yep. Somebody will find it. And go, remember this? It's like one of those, um, like the sci-fi conventions or something you see like built into like sitcoms or whatever. Like, you remember in episode 137 where you said this and you're talking to an actor, you know? And like, and in episode 195 you said that. And it's like, you feel like you're that guy sometimes that's being attacked that way. And it's, it's just part of going through the machine and developing your, your, your reputation and being able to say, yeah, I got that wrong. But here's everything we've done after that. Absolutely. And, you know, I not to go off on a tangent, but thick skin can be pretty helpful in this, too, because if you're... Oh, you better have it. <laughs> oh, and, hey, listen, I didn't years ago. I mean, it, it, you, you can thicken your skin up. Some people are born with it. Some people can, you know, and I won't, like, every so often you still get one of those comments and you're like, oh, I just want to be real nasty and mean. No, you know what? It doesn't matter. And it's the same in business. The longer you're in business, the thicker your skin gets. But, I mean... You know, but if I go back and I look at some of my early videos, like I, I look like some homeless dude sitting in a basement talking to myself, you know, and, and that's okay. But it, I, I came across this. There's a few different teachers online about, you know, improving your content and stuff. And they always talk about that 1% better every time. And if, if you're not striving for, you know, each video or each week's worth of content to be 1% better than the week before, then you're probably not going to succeed, you know? And as far as like that guy that, you know, was just sitting in his basement and I'm still sitting in my basement right now talking to you, that's okay. But if you just stayed there, you're, you're never, you're never going to get beyond that sort of hump, you know? And, and there are a lot of people, like you said, that they, they kind of get lost in, I know so much stuff, but I can't convey it to you. It reminds me of a couple of professors I had in university, you know, they, they knew everything, but you couldn't understand a damn word they said because, like you said, every seventh word is a nine-syllable word, and they, they have to stop, and they almost have to give the – you know, when when you watch a politician and they get interviewed, and they have to they have to almost mentally think about every single syllable they put out because they're worried it's going to be conveyed wrong or something, you know? And, yeah, like if, 
if you're worried about someone in your audience being smarter than you, you probably shouldn't be doing it because I get some of the best ideas, some of the best feedback from the community who's out there. You know, they're like, did you know that this tool will pick locks a lot better? So I end up going out and buying that because I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be an idiot. I'm, I'm absolutely going to listen to you. And now I've learned how to use this tool. So now I can turn around and take that same knowledge and convey it to the entire audience. Whereas, you know, a lot of the people, like you said, they know, really, really know things, but they, they just can't convey it to other people. Well, and I think you'd have to be an idiot to think that you're going to know more about everything than every member of your audience if your audience has any size. Absolutely. I, I could take any member, you know, maybe any member of my audience, and maybe I know more about preparedness as a whole than they do. But the belief that they wouldn't know anything that I don't know, that's just, that, that, that's, you know, you might as well just head off to Neverland or something. Like, that's, that's not going to be the case because the entire point of the decentralization of, Uh, this magical thing we call the internet is collective intelligence. And I think it is the way that a good content creator becomes better. You, you, as much as you learn through your own experiments or your own experience, the combined experience being that hub in mm -hmm. all those spokes and taking a little bit from everybody over the years is where you get to this point where you become a, 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 an actual wealth of knowledge. Not because you're smart, because anybody that does every, anything every day of their life for a long time gets really freaking good at it, right? It doesn't matter. Like, if you don't, you should probably do something else, <laughs> right? Because there are people <laughs> like, like you know, like, you, you play baseball for 20 years, still can't hit the ball off a tee, man. Like, that's me with golf. Like, I, I am not a golfer. I am not going to be a golfer. I'm sure if I took a bunch of lessons, I could be a little better, But I got one eye, and it's just it is what it is, right? So, like, I'm not going to try to build a career in golf. I think if you love something and you have any any predisposition to be decent at it, do it for 10 years, and you're going to be really, really good at it. And so when you're doing it for 10 years and you got 10 years of people making you better, challenging you, you become exceptional at it, no matter what it is and no matter who you are. Oh, absolutely. I, I, that's why I love those top 10 videos. You know, well, I did, well, I did a video not too long ago about, uh, the one, the one, three, five method. It's a method I use for, you know, organizing my day and trying to, you know, get shit done the best I can. And I always say like in those type of videos, I'm no expert on this. It's just something I've learned and it take like a top 10 video of like, say top 10 time saving tips, right? There's a good chance out of 10 tips, there's going to be one you're going to learn from. But if you think before you go in, oh, I already know all this, I'm not even going to watch it. Well, great. But if, you know, 90% of what you hear, you probably already know. But if you can take that one thing out of, you know, that 10% and apply it to what you're doing, you've done so much better. And that's why I love that kind of stuff. Because a lot of times, you know, even when, when I listened to like some of your podcasts, I, you did one just yesterday on uh, the back to the basics preparedness. And if I had just rolled my eyes and thought, ah, I've heard it all before. You know what? Every single time you listen to it, you pull one little thing out. And if you can keep an open mind like that, and again, be teachable from your audience and that sort of thing, you're going to go a lot further than you wouldn't. You know, I think there's there's two sides to what you just hit on. It's really important, and it's part of the formula that I've put in this podcast from day one. I never want someone to listen to a full episode of this show to give me an hour, an hour and a half of their life and come away from it and not think, I learned one thing. Like, as a content creator, like, you need to put enough shit in all your pieces 
that the average person is going to come away with at least one thing of value. And I figure if I can make you laugh once, <laughs> learn once, and be re and, and, and kind of follow along in a way that you feel your time is well spent, you'll keep coming back. But if you get done with, you know, good Lord. If you get done with giving somebody an hour of your time and you don't feel like you learned anything and you didn't even laugh once, you're probably not coming back. Guaranteed. Absolutely. And it's true. And I mean, you ever get, uh, you get 20 minutes into a, say a 30 minute video and you're just like, you know what? I'm, I'm not, I'm not putting any more time into this. And it's the same with books. It doesn't matter what kind of content it is. You know, I used to be, I, if I was fully invested in something, I'm like, I've already spent the most time I need to finish. Well, not anymore. You know, 20 minutes into a, a book, if I'm not digging it, it's gone. And it's the same with a content creator. And I know we always have to, you know, keep putting out, like you said, entertain and inform. And if you're, if you're not doing both of those pretty quick, you're, you're going to end up losing your audience, or at least people aren't going to keep coming back. No, I completely agree with that. So what are some of the things you've tried that have actually worked? You know, like you mentioned collaborations, you know, live streams, I've seen you do contests, uh, what's actually worked and, and kind of maybe what's worked better than other things. Sure. Yeah. I, I know when I was on uh, Nicole's podcast, uh, I think I, the question was what didn't work. And, you know, I almost drew a blank because as an entrepreneur, a lot of times you kind of block your failures out pretty quick. You know, you just move on to your next success, right? So <laughs> sometimes it's easier to remember the things that worked, but you know, we did a, I did a, a tool time collab with seven or eight different creators from the TSP community for my 50th uh, tool time review. It was awesome. I learned, I think I learned more than the return on the investment, but I, it's something I'll, I'll absolutely do again. Uh, it just opens you up to learning from a whole bunch of other content creators. And another thing is not to look at fellow content creators as the competition because there's enough eyeballs out there and everybody, everybody's looking for something a little bit different. And if, if you can get out and branch out and interact with other content creators, you're going to become a lot better for it. Uh, live streaming for me, that was a big thing. Like I only really started live streaming maybe three months ago and it felt like I was starting content creation all over again. I felt like a baby, you know, like uh, going to school for the first time. Cause you, you know, it's easy if, if, if you frig up when you're making a video, well, I just edited it out. But <laughs> when you're doing live stream, your pregnant pauses and your ums and your, uh, you know, all of that is going to be there in, per in perpetuity, you know, it's, it's always there. And, and to keep people's attention is, you know, it's, it's tough too. And I, I know the first couple live streams I did were 10 or 15 minutes and they weren't too bad, but you just, you felt like it was something. I just, I just felt totally out of my element again, but I'm always willing to try something new. I always give something, you know, a good six weeks trial to see if it's really going to work for me. But you know, my last, uh, I call them talking tools. It's a live stream every Sunday night at eight o'clock mountain time. And, uh, last Sunday nights was 55 minutes long. And if you'd asked me, could I get on and do a 55 minute live stream and keep an audience for 55 minutes? If you'd asked me that even three, four months ago, I might've said, ah, I don't know, but you know, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Uh, I did contests as well. Contests are one of those things. They seem like they, I still like doing them, but there's kind of like this diminishing return with them. It seems like something that's really good when you're first starting to build. And then if, if you do too many of them, maybe they lose a little bit of their luster. But uh, of course, I took your advice and started collecting email addresses. And 
the whole idea, of course, is to, to kind of have a backup plan just in case something ever happens that you get deplatformed on, you know, any certain platform or that sort of thing. But, you know, it, it was a good way to start building up a, I just do one, once a month monthly newsletter and I've used my contest to, you know, to build my subscribers on all my platforms, but to also give me a, a central way for me to contact directly with people. So now I have, I've been building an email list and that, that's been the biggest benefit of having contests. But, one thing I've realized about contests is that I usually run them for a month and a week is probably good enough. Uh, they tend to, you get a really big uh, boost at the very beginning and then everybody kind of forgets about them. And then at the very end, you get a little boost again, but they've worked really well. I love, just try to tie them in. I, I've, I've tried to involve other content creators with that as well. Uh, at Christmas time, I had Nicole, she, she joined in and give away a pound of coffee just all of that kind of stuff. But anytime that I've been able to tie any other content creators into the contest, it's worked really well too, because you're, you're building into their audiences and, uh, Oh no, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say it. It's very much the philosophy of sales that the only reason you go into the cold market and start making cold calls is you get into somebody else's warm market. So every client that I acquire in sales is potentially 10 more clients Right, so like if I only win with cold market prospecting one time, you know, out of every hundred calls, and there's no multiplication there, it's not worth it. I'm better off just doing straight up marketing and taking inbound. But if I can leverage conversions into referrals, and that's that's when you when you get in and you collaborate with other uh, content creators, that's that's what you're doing. You're now. You're in their more market, and they're in yours, and you're exchanging that value with them. And you're, you know, you're generally looking for people that have similar enough content to share, but maybe not completely head-to-head, -head, you know, uh, competitive. But I don't even know that. Like, I agree with you. I don't think that matters. Like, if you run a fishing channel and you collaborate with other fishing channels, nobody loses anything. I don't really believe, like, I think if you lose somebody, you would have lost, like, if you lose a, a, a viewer, you were going to lose them anyway, if that makes Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Yes. And I, like, I, um, uh, Joseph Mills, he has a Mills construction. He's a handyman down in the States and he does a lot of tour reviews as well. I've got to know him really well. He's about a year further down the road than I am in his YouTube content creation journey. And, you know, we, we have a, a lot of uh, overlapping audience between his channel and my channel. And, and, you know, we, we've turned into really good friends and we bounce ideas off each other. And he's put me into a, another, um, uh, messenger chat room with some other content creators. So it's, it's been really good. And yeah, if, if you look at everybody as competition and you always think, oh, so and so is going to steal another follower from you or me you're going to have a bad day and it, it's just, you're going to stress yourself out. It, it's not worth stressing over, you know? And, uh, and you'd asked about some of the other things I tried. One other thing I really, uh, has worked immensely for me was, uh, <laughs> building a website. I'd been putting that off for a long time and, you know, people kept, people kept coming to me and saying, Tim, what tool do you recommend for this? And I, you know, I probably get 30 messages a week of, well, what tool do you recommend for this or what tool, you know, and I, I turn a lot of those into uh, grab bag sessions for the uh, expert council at the end of the, you know, the end of the month when I put some of those together and I needed a place where people could go and see, oh, this product or the, this tool meets the tool man Tim seal of approval, you know, and I, I've put a lot of work into that, but it, it's a place now when, you know, 
it, if you get a, a message from somebody, what do you recommend for this? I can send them the link as opposed to having to, you know, typo. And I, not that I don't want to take the time to respond, but now I have a, a landing point for people to go. And, um, it also works kind of as a funnel for affiliate sales too. And that, that, that's grown really well for me. Well, and I think there's a point where, you know, all of us start out with this idea. I'll answer all my email. I'll respond <laughs> to every message. And you, and that's part of that, that infant magic, you know, like, like when you bring the baby home and you get everything's a big deal. She held her head up. She crawled. She looked. <laughs> she farted, right? Like everything's amazing. And it is, but there is a point, you know, where the kid starts running and you can't stay up with everything they do. And that's how, if you build a business like this correctly, that's what happens. You get to a point where, no, I don't answer all my email anymore because if I gave every email I got on a daily basis 20 seconds of my time, I would need 37 hours in a day just to answer email, right? And, and like, that's a blessing and a curse, right? But, like, then you have to, like, be strategic about what you answer and what you don't. And the more you put in place where you can go, here's a link, Mm -hmm. You know, or, you know, all I got to do then is I got to hit, go to my own, since you didn't do it, I'll go to my own search box, I'll <laughs> search for it, and I'll copy and send you a link, right? Like, and I can do that in 10, 20 seconds. I still can't answer everybody, but I can be like, oh, yeah, I can answer that. Yep. You know, and, and like, so that leverage tool makes you more valuable to your audience. You know, I mean, people do kind of get that clinical feel once in a while when you're throwing them stuff like that, but like, Dude, this is what I can do. It was like when I I started way back when I worked still in corporate world and I had a lot of callings on my time and I, I'd have to be in New York this day and then Connecticut that day. And I started like if my wife and I had a date, I would put it on the calendar, you know, on my on my Outlook calendar or whatever. And she didn't really like the idea of that at first. She's like, I'm your wife. You know, you shouldn't have. To. And it's like, w wait a minute. Like when I make an agreement, you know, 87 days from now, to be in Hartford, Connecticut, at a restaurant to meet with a consultant and an architect. Five minutes before they get there, I'm having the table set up in the right place, and I'm there because that goes on my calendar. And if they are important enough for me to do that, why aren't you? And it was a different way of looking at it. I think we have to kind of serve our audiences that way. Like for me to be able to answer 25% of my correspondence is – It's pretty good, and I try to, like, in my head keep track of people and not favor people too much. That way everybody gets some attention here and there. But the more I process that and put it into a process-type situation, the better I can do at it. Because I, I do get people sometimes, they're, like, twerpy or whatever, like, you know, like, oh, that's it, or that's all I get, or whatever. It's like, you're freaking lucky you got anything, right? <laughs> like, like, it's just a time, it's a time frame thing. It is. And I, you know, I remember when, you know, when I when very, very first started and you'd get your, you know, you get one comment every three videos and you're like, yeah, I write out a great big paragraph and all of that. And, and I, I told myself, cause I used to use the same mindset, you know, when I would move from one job to another job and I knew what those first couple of weeks were the time that I would have the most, I don't want to say free time, but the most time to do all that little tiny piddly stuff before everything else get in there and filled up all your time. And that's the way it is with, you know, trying to respond because, you, you know, now you get 
quite a bit of correspondence and, and that's okay. And that's part of the reason I put together, I've got two or three different videos on, you know, time saving tips and how to become a content creator because beyond getting asked, you know, what product do you recommend for this section? The other question you get all the time is how do I become a content creator? And so it was nice to have those videos that I could send. And, and it's not, like you said, it's not because you don't want to give a, a full three page response, but if you did that to everybody and you know, th this for me, I, you know, I have goals of this, you know, being a, a large portion of my income eventually, but you know, I do my best to kind of limit this to less than 20 hours a month because it, it's, you know, it's a part-time kind of position in my life. And so like anything that I can invest time in upfront that helps me kind of streamline the process. And that's including answering emails and, and giving advice and that sort of thing, the better off I've been so far. No, absolutely. So what kind of gear do you use to create your content? I get that question a lot. Like, you know, are you using high end gear, mid level gear, just your phone? What, what do you use? Yeah, well, it, you know, it's funny because there's a, a local guy here who follows my channel and uh, he, we've gotten to be pretty good friends and he come by one day and I just put together what I call my studio, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, it's a corner of my garage that I painted black and put my DeWalt tools up and I have my logo. But, you know, if you're just outside the edges of what you can see, it's just my normal workshop and my normal messy workshop that I try to keep organized, but I can't. But, you know, that being said, he was absolutely blown away that I do all my filming on my iPhone. I've got an iPhone 12 and, you know, I think, you know, the old analysis paralysis thing that you talk about quite a bit, but people get so caught up in the idea that I need to have, you know, X, Y, and Z gear in order to be a content creator. Well, I can promise you, number one, that you can go out and spend $10,000 on camera gear, start making videos, and nobody's going to watch them. Because when I first started, the only ones watching were my wife, my twins, and my mother. And I think they even stopped after the first or second video. More important is learning how to make those videos. So, I mean, everybody's got a smartphone. Uh, like I said, my iPhone 12, I started with an iPhone 10 at the time. That's literally all you need. And then, you know, if you, if you want to upgrade from there, I use, I'm still using the same tripod that I bought, you know, 16 months ago for, I was like 30 bucks on Amazon. It's a smartphone tripod that holds it up there. And then beyond that, if you absolutely need to spend money, spend it on a mic. I bought a, a nice, it's a Fafine, it sounds like I'm stuttering, but it's the name F-I-F-I-N-E, uh, cordless mic that with an adapter plugs into my iPhone. And people will excuse bad video before they'll excuse bad audio. Because, you know, most of the time when you're watching a video, you might be watching TV or doing something else, but you want to be able to hear it. And, you know, I tried two or three different things. Uh, for audio, like a shotgun mic and a wired lapel mic, and none of it really worked. But, you know, my $40 wireless lapel mic has been all I've needed all along. And like I said, people will excuse bad video before they'll excuse bad audio. So if they can hear you and it's crystal clear, that's your next step in the right direction. And then, you know, beyond that, you can build a studio space or, you know, I bought a couple of box lights for 40 bucks. But I mean, all in the gear that I film with on a daily basis, if you don't count my phone because everybody already has a phone, you know, it's way under a hundred bucks. And my videos, I think they look pretty damn good. No, I, I would agree with you. And the audio, I think, is like really, 
really, really important. And I'm not saying that because I'm an audio podcaster. I'm saying that as a video producer, I completely agree with you. Uh, there was a guy that was in this audience named Shannon um, who helped me a lot with kind of getting started on YouTube and wireless mics and all that stuff way back. I'm talking 08, 09. And he said that, you know, he made movies. That's what he did. He was actually a professional uh, video videographer. Uh, you know, works for companies, puts together, you know, promotional videos, does it for churches, all things like that. And he got at one time, very, very fortunately, to meet his hero uh, in movie making, Steven Spielberg. And, you know, that's that's as big as it gets. If you if that's <laughs> your thing, then that that's that's the rock star. Right. And he said, he said, what is the one thing that I can do to make my movies great? And Spielberg said, audio. <laughs> Without thinking. Like he said, it just rolled out of audio. It's all about the sound. And so I, I completely agree with that. I mean, invest, if you're going to invest anywhere, invest in the quality of the audio you're producing. Because we've all watched a video. We like the person. Really want to know what they're talking about. Uh, but it just turned out to be on a windy or a rainy day or something like that. And maybe they're usually not bad. But you're like, I can't, I can't freaking do it. I can't, like, when I end up with a video like that, I just throw it the hell away. I'm like, I'm not doing this to people. I'll reshoot it, whatever, if I can. Or I've even done some things where I've done, like, an audio overdub, right? Like, because that, I agree, people will not freaking tolerate it, you know? And I think the other thing with, like, gear quality and production quality and all of that, though, I think the best thing you can do as a new content creator to, like, give yourself some breathing room in spite of what we just said Go find, like, the five most popular channels in your niche. Go all the way to the beginning. Watch each one of their first four videos. They all they all freaking suck. Yep. And if they don't suck, they do suck in comparison to what they're doing now, right? Like, I mentioned Google Foods. Like, if you go watch his first video, they're awful. And then you look at them, you go, they're not really that bad. They're, they're bad in comparison Well, you go, okay, well, the guy's been running his channel for five years. He's gotten pretty good at it, right? I mean, that's that's a reasonable thing. And I think if you do that, you'll, you'll give yourself some, some, you know, you'll relax a little bit. When I first started TSP, I had, like, a multifunction, like, $89. It was a camera. It was an MP3 recorder. It was a video camera. And I literally sat it in my lap and drove in my car. And within two weeks, you know, I had like a, a little Sony recorder and a cheap headset, and it was much better. And you know what? It was like, I'm either going to do this thing in my car or I'm not going to do it. And then when I got into being able to do it from home, I got myself a good quality microphone. But you got to start. I think it's great to get there, but you got to start, and that's more important than anything else. And exactly like, like I said, you can have all the best gear in the world, but if you, if you don't know how to use it, it's not going to do you any good. Like I struggled and str like my audio, I think in my videos is pretty good now. And you know, I almost give up on this wireless microphone. I, I mean, audio can be such a pain to get to work proper, you know, and I, I everybody recommend get one of those little shotgun mics. I put it everywhere. I bought myself a mic stand. I mean, I practically give myself an ulcer trying to get this thing set up, you know, I'd up out of frame, just It was miserable. I couldn't get it to work, so I bought this wireless mic. <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, 
I spent a ton of time with it and I would film and it would sound good. And then all of a sudden it would get all garbled and it was almost like I had gerbils or something in there. And, you know, I was getting really close to the time I had to return the microphone and it was just constant. You know, you'd film, you'd get an awesome video, get going, you'd check it out at the end and you'd be like, I've got 15 minutes of unusable audio in here. It turned out that I had an old garage door opener in my shop where I shoot and it was causing interference with my microphone. <laughs> I, I don't know what made me decide to check it out, but anyway, I unplugged it and ever since it's been perfect. So, but yes, I mean, as far as audio goes, that is where it is. I mean, if you, it, it almost gives a person, it almost gives me a headache trying to listen to a video of somebody who, you know, either they're too quiet or they, you know, they, they just, they're just not there with the audio. Welcome to it, fresh air, right? <laughs> like the NPR yes. level podcast. Today we are talking, what are you, take the marbles out of your mouth. And it is weird the things that will cause problems with audio and then how you finally figure them out. Years and years ago when I started doing uh, interviews like this, I would use a laptop, much as I do now, but it was a PC laptop that used a standard kind of uh, uh, power adapter. And I kept getting this weird hiss and hum and shit in my interviews. And then one day I'm like, I wonder, and I just unplugged the power adapter and ran off the battery, and the <laughs> audio went perfectly clear. It's like, okay, no more of this laptop, or it's got to be fully charged, and when I start the interview, I'll unplug it, and hopefully we'll make it before the battery dies. Um, it's always little shit that you, you know, you got to just keep playing with it till you figure it out. Um, what are some of the things you think that really set apart someone who succeeds in this and those who just kind of fizzle out and fail? Absolutely. I, you know, I wrote down, uh, be effing consistent. I won't use the F bomb, of course, but <laughs> persistence. It, there's nothing more. Uh, and like I said, being consistent won't guarantee you'll be successful, but not being consistent will guarantee you're going to fail or pretty darn close. But, you know, my wife and I, uh, Right during the height of the pandemic, we we opened up a daycare. So it, it's her business that she's running. And, you know, and it was the same with my handyman business. It's the same with my content creation. There's always that point where you almost feel like you want to give up. You're like, you know, when I was at like 85 subscribers, I'm like, this just isn't working. I'm going to and then like, no persistence. Just keep going. And I mean, you know, you can be persistent and still fail. Don't get me wrong. Like you, you can be persistent at beating your head against a wall and and all you're going to do is give yourself a concussion. But if, if you're absolutely persistent, that is of, of all the attributes that a content creator can have persistence and consistency. Definitely. I, and I know they're buzzwords, but it's just true. You have to be able to keep making that content. You have to be able to keep putting out that content, even when maybe you don't feel like it or you're a little bit down because you just haven't had any growth lately. And <laughs> excuses like I, I i just i don't have i don't have time for them i know i mean sometimes whatever anyway excuses are excuses and sometimes things really do happen and once you're you know along and down the road great but you know don't keep making excuses because your audience will only cut you slack for for so long and you want people to know they can count on you you know so people are always like i have certain content creators that i know okay their video comes out on friday and if it comes out i'm gonna watch it and you want to be part of your audience's life as well. And, you know, I know that uh, five days a week in my podcast feed, I'm going to have TSP and it's going to be there. And if I have time to listen to it while I'm working, I'm going to listen to it. And you want your audience to know that they can count on you. And I think that when you can push that, not push it, but convey that to your audience, I think that's a, a big attribute that's going to 
set you apart and be a little bit more successful. And, um, it, and that's really what it comes down to. And, and there is a little bit of luck involved too. I mean, like you said, there's certain times when certain videos take off and just go. And then there's certain people that, you know, I know a couple content creators that have been doing the same thing day in and day out for way longer than I have. And they've just never really taken off. They're still happy doing what they do, but beyond anything else, persistence and consistency. And I know they just sound like words, but the application of them on a daily basis, that's, that's what's going to set you apart for sure. Yeah, I know when I started, I actually had people worried, you know, five days a week, you'll never be able to keep doing it. And I'm like, dude, dude I got this. Yep. This is, this is the way I play the game. And, and I just looked at it this way. If I do one show a week, okay, that's, that's, you know, 20% of the content of five shows a week. So I'll have 20% of the success. Mm-hmm. So either I want to get this up and running to the point where I can tell my, my partners, frankly, piss off, I'm done. And I want to do that in a year, year and a half, or I want to take five years and maybe do it. And I'm like, I, the five year plan sucks, right? The five year plan sucks, but the one year plan, the one, one, that's a thing. That, that I, I can get behind the one year plan. And it, be, it, it honestly only became an 18 month plan because my, one of my partners basically begged me to give him six more months. And person. It, it was like, oh, it was like the right thing to do. But I, I literally could have went from, that shitty recorder in my lap to full-time in 12 months. But Absolutely. I could have never done that one day a week. It would have never happened. It never would have taken off. And, you know, I put out five videos a week. And um, and then also I do an audio compilation. So I strip the audio from all of my videos and I turn it into a weekly podcast. And Because I realized... What a great a people, idea that is. I know, right? <laughs> I wonder where I got that from. <laughs> <laughs> but I seen you and Nicole both doing it and I, I just kind of rung a bell one day. I'm like, there's a lot of people that probably want to listen to my content that don't have about an hour and a half a week to put out, you know, to sit down at a screen and watch it, you know? So I, I developed a system for doing it. It probably took me a day or two to get really good at it. And now it literally takes me less than 15 minutes a week to strip the audio from all my videos. I have a pre-recorded intro and outro and upload it. I, I, you know, I have a system and I always invest my time in a system so that it'll save me time down the road. And it's the same with my, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I, in, I, in theory, I'd like to put out five videos a week, uh, for the entire month. And I try to only put say 10 to 15 hours a month into that. And, you know, I put together a content grid ahead of time. So I have all my video ideas. And then I, you know, one morning I'll film all my money making minute videos. And then Tuesday I'll film all my toolbox Tuesday videos and so on and so forth. And then I'll take one day and try to edit everything, upload everything, thumbnails. And because for me, of course, like I said, this is a, it's a part-time venture at the moment. And I can't, I can't be relied upon to be able to do a video on a Monday morning, if I know that I have, you know, if all of a sudden I get a phone call from a customer and, hey, Tim, can you crawl under my trailer and thaw out my sewer line? Because I can't flush my toilet and I could be down there all day worried about, I've got to get home and make a video. So for me, the best way I found it is to do all of my monthly content, of course, other than my live streams, at the beginning of the month, have it all up there. And then that takes a huge bit of stress off my shoulders. 
Absolutely. I think the more things you can do to facilitate ease of your life is the better. Like one thing I started doing recently, I started um, live streaming my Miyagi Mornings uh, stuff, and I, I give the people on the live stream extra time, and I only record the core for uh, the stuff that goes on the podcast on the recap episode on Friday. However, what I started doing, I used to do what you do, strip it out and, and whatever, and that's another step. So what I do now, I'm running two computers. I have two microphones. When I start the part for the audio only, I hit record on the second computer. And mm -hmm. I have one goes to YouTube and gets shared to Odyssey and all that shit. And the other one is a straight-up audio file. I don't have to download it. I don't have to strip. I don't have to mess with it. Uh, and that dumps out in a WAV file. And then it like while I'm doing the live stream, I'll just lean over and I'll drag it into Levelator. And it levelates it. So on, on Thursday... When I make that show for Friday distribution, there's just four files sitting there. Import, music, render. And, and it, it takes, I, I have to say, it takes no extra time at all because the time the computer spends with it, that's not my time. Right. That's the computer's time. I, it, it, it's literally seamless now and there's no extra steps. And that is like, I, I, like not everybody's going to use that particular model But, like, that's the pattern. How do I take this thing? That's what you're doing now, too. You're making one thing two things, mm -hmm. right? And I, I kind of reverse engineered that, and it was from an audience member that suggested it, but I had always thought, like, people like Joe Rogan and all, right? They take little 15-minute segments of their podcast, and they make YouTube videos, Well, that's because Joe Rogan has like 85 servants kissing his ass every day. And he's like, go make that shit up. He doesn't even say what to, they're like. Uh, they, they sit around and listen to him and go, oh, Allah, Salam, Joe is God. And they're like, this is a great segment. And they're making it on the fly while it's going on. Well, I don't have a staff like that. And I, frankly, I don't want one. I don't want all that crap. I like being a one-man show. But like going in that direction of having to pull it out and make videos out of it was like, that's work. But making videos in the podcast, that's actually not work. That's easy. And just flipping it backwards. And, like, what can you do as a content creator to make your content do double, triple, quadruple duty? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and there's a ton of it. Like, I, you know, like I put together all my thumbnails uh, in one sitting, basically. And then I'll turn around and make a collage out of my thumbnails that takes literally 30 seconds. And then I'll upload that to social media. And that's, you know, kind of a... um a hint or a tease at what's coming up, you know, or, and, uh, social media posts are the same way. Like I used to worry about, oh, I need to, I need to post to this spot and it needs to be completely different. You know, whatever I put on Instagram has to be completely different from what I put on float has. And, oh no, I had to get over that real quick because you've got a different audience. That's cut and paste city, man. That's, that's boom, bam, boom. <laughs> I wish there was a, I wish there was a program that would do all of those, but, and, you know, either way, but, and again, like sometimes I might think, like you said, it, it is really hard to pull, you know, to turn a 15 minute video into a one minute preview video is a lot of work, but sometimes I might think while I'm filming something, oh, this segment right here, that's really good. And when I'm editing the video, I might just copy and paste that one section, throw it over in another video and render it. I don't do it all the time, but anytime I can kind of figure out a way to double or triple up the, the content and, and find extra uses for it is it just, it saves you time and it, it expands your reach without you needing to, you know, it's the whole four hour work week mindset. And I just read that book here a few months ago and I've tried to apply it both 
to my content creation and my handyman business. Because if you, you know, you, you can, you can spend a lot of time doing a lot of things and not be successful. But if you spend a little bit of time on the things that work the best for you, you're going to have a lot better return for your results. So how do you answer this question? I get this all the time. How do you constantly come up with new content, right? Like, uh, even my wife will say sometimes, I don't know how the hell after 13 years you come up with new stuff all the time. And I mean, some of it's easy. Today was easy. It's you. You're yeah. a guest, right? Like, but you know, I do come up with, you know, one or two completely original shows every week. To me, mostly it comes from my audience, right? Like my audience won't let me run out of ideas. Absolutely. And first, I find ideas are a lot like being an entrepreneur. You know, I always have good business ideas. I'm like, oh, I should start this business or that business. But it's a matter of picking the best ones. But, you know, when you're first, the hardest time you're ever going to have for coming up with uh, content ideas is when you're first getting started. Because everything's new and your brain isn't really in that mode. But once you get going, and, and it might sound a little cliche, but you're going to have a harder time picking your best ideas as opposed to just coming up with something all the time, because you can, you can pick something you're like, Oh, this is great. And it ends up being a dud. But you know, for me, I keep a notepad on my phone for each of my weekly series, you know, money making minute, et cetera. And every time if I'm driving, if I'm walking, if I'm listening to a podcast, if I'm watching another video, no matter how dumb the idea might be, I write it down. And it's this great big repository of possible video for down the road. I mean, I've got enough in there that I could make, you know, months and months of videos. So the more you write down and then you, then I'll go back through and when it, it's coming time to kind of plan my month out, I'll start going through that list and I'll be like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Or what the hell were you thinking there, Tim? That, that is a dumb idea. We'll skip that one. Uh, so that, that's one way. Anytime I get, and, I don't know. It's the old man brain in me. But if you don't write it down right away, you're going to forget it. So make sure you write it down immediately or it's it's gone into ether somewhere. But um, for me, also, the, the second best way, like you said, of coming up with ideas for content is from the community itself. And I was looking just the other day and the 16 videos I have coming out this month, just about half of them came from community suggestions community tips, community requests. So if you're listening to your audience, you've already got a built-in desire for someone to want to consume some of that content. And honestly, the, the videos that come for the most part from the community are some of my better trending ideas and the ones that I definitely get the most interaction from. But yes, if I did a, I don't know if you've seen those YouTube shorts at all, but they're one minute or less. And I've been kind of dipping my toe into that. And I had one a little while ago, but you know, content creators, if you're not listening to your community, you, you probably should be. And, and that's where it comes from. The, the gen 10 I did recently, it's a, it's a portable generator shelter that mounts right to your generator. That was a hundred percent community suggested. I didn't even know about the product. Somebody recommended it to me out of the community. I ended up buying it thinking, Hey, I'd really like this. And then did a pretty good video on it and ended up trending really well for it. So yeah, if you're not listening to your community, that that's where, like you said, most of the ideas probably at this point, you know, 50 to 75% of the ideas either come directly from the community or come from interacting with a community member. 
Yeah, and I think there's a lot of utility in that. Then there's also the people that are like, you know what you should do? You should get two GoPros and a drone and like, <sighs> you know why? Why don't you send me five grand worth of shit and somebody to do all the editing for me and we can talk about it, right? Like, you know, I, I know people want kind of that higher level of stuff and I think that like some channels specialize in that and, you know, me, YouTube for me, YouTube, Odyssey, any video is more of adjunctive. Right, it's funnels into my podcasting empire, and so I'm only ever going to get so good at video production. But there are those people out there that I know. I can tell by the way you responded to that. You've experienced it. Like you need two GoPros and then a bridge board and like, dude, like why don't you? And then you go look at their channel, and you know what their channel always says? This channel, <laughs> this channel no has yet. no content. Right, like everybody that tells you you are a complete dumbass never has anything that they're sharing. And I, I, you know, the people that suggest the gear and all, I, I, I understand and I let that go. But the people that start telling you how stupid you are that have no content, I don't even bother. I block those people. They're done. Like, I, no, I don't have time for this. I, I, I know that you took valuable time out of your busy day eating Hot Pockets in your mom's basement, pleasuring yourself to porno to make this comment, but it's really not helping the adults have a conversation here. Bye-bye. Like, And I, you said earlier, thick skin, man. You you better have it because there are people that I swear to God, they're professional trolls. Oh. Like their whole day is who can I find to piss off online, and the answer is not me. Like, not you. I, I don't care. You're not important. If you're a troll and your comment is funny or something, I'll leave it alone. But if you're disrupting an actual conversation, you just have to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Absolutely. And I, you know, I've had a couple of, I guess, you know, you've, you're starting to make it when you start getting, you know, just random nasty comments for no reason whatsoever. And if you get them, I just, I ignore them. If they're too nasty, I delete them and block them from the channel. But, but, you know, then I will say, especially early on, some of my better channel and content improvement suggestions have also come from the audience, you know? Absolutely. Because like, for instance, when I first started, I was really in love with my thumbnails. My thumbnails were hot garbage. You know, they were hard to see. They were hard to read. I didn't want to hear that. But I had a community member who said, you know, Tim, first off, your face is your brand. You need to get that out there. And whatever. Anyway, you know, and it's easy to just say somebody all of a sudden says, here's a suggestion for you. And just say, no, you don't know what you're talking about and brush it off. But, you know, I, I listen to that person and I read. I spent a bunch of time redeveloping my thumbnails And I've had you know, my uh, my engagement and my click through rate went up almost two percent in the very first month, and that that's huge, you know. So some of the best channel improvement ideas will come from community members, and it's it's one thing if it's some random, you know, YouTuber one two three four username or something, but if it's somebody that you know watches your content on a regular basis and you think it comes from a a genuine place of care and concern, then yeah, you know, sometimes it's worth trying. And then sometimes you just don't have the desire to change something, but yeah. So a lot of some of my better community improvement ideas have definitely come from the community themselves. No, definitely. And we kind of hit on some of this already, but do you have any other like time saving tips for creators? Yeah, I'll bust through them quick, but stack your social media posts. Don't waste time doing something different for every different medium. I, you know, if, if somebody's following you and they really like you and they see you posted the same thing on float and MeWe, they're just going to scroll by it. They're going to, you know, and if they don't want to follow you because of it, well, that that's okay too. Um, like I said, invest in long-term, 
long-term results. So things like, you know, for me, building the website and doing a hundred blog posts on the different products, that took a lot of work up front, but now they're set up for a different today's tool every single day. Um, also something else is cut your losses. Like I've, I, I've tried a bunch of, so kind of, I've tried a bunch of different alternative social media platforms because when, when you're early on, you, You've got nothing but time. You know, if, if you're putting out videos and posts and that sort of thing, put them on a bunch of different places and, and see which ones work for you. But also be willing to cut your losses. Like my, my growing your handyman business series, that was what started my channel. And I wrapped that up back about three months ago because I just wasn't getting the return on the investment. And if I'd have been really, really connected to that, that, that series took me the most time and I got the least amount of return for it, but it's still there and people still watch the old videos, but you know, be willing to cut your losses. I, you know, I'm on float and I love float and my audience has grown huge on there. I think I just hit over 800 followers and I love the interactions, probably the best platform. Uh, MeWe's really good too, but you know, I, I tried mines. And I went on there and I tried for a while. I did the same thing I always did, just never got traction. Same, same. Yeah, it was so, just boring. It didn't, didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, off I went and, um, fire on was the same way. I really, really wanted fire on to, to work for me because, you know, I wanted to support him and everything, but it, it just, it didn't catch on for me. And that, that's okay. My, my either I did something wrong or my, my niche or my audience wasn't out there on that platform or I couldn't grab into it. So instead of, you know, still beating your head against the wall, what do they say? If you keep beating a dead horse, all you get is a bigger mess, right? So just move on, cut your losses. If something isn't working, don't waste more time on that, if that makes sense. And then I know we talked about repackaging content, but that that's huge. Any way you can find to uh, use segments of videos or the audio from videos or images or stills, anything that doesn't take any extra time do that. And then I talked about creating a schedule, but I have that grid and I fill everything out. And then for me, I need to know where I'm heading. And if I have a schedule and a plan on paper upcoming for the next month, I'm able to be way more efficient. And, you know, now I can get five videos done in the time that it took me to do one video when I first started. So what are some of the things you've done to take advantage of opportunities to build uh, upon your content creation as we kind of wrap up here? Sure. Um, honestly, I, 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 there's a lot like the, the story I told about, you know, getting on the expert council, but being on the expert council was a, has been a huge boon for me. You know, it, again, it positions you as an expert. So then it, it automatically, and it extends me into your audience, of course, or, you know, the, an audience that I've been a part of for, what, nine years, eight, eight or nine years now. So, you know, that, that was huge. And, you know, making, making the most of your opportunity. So if you're on a podcast, you know, making sure that it gets promoted properly, making sure you promote it properly, making sure that you <laughs> plug the things that you wanted to plug, all of that, you know, and, uh, and like I said, make friends with other content creators. I've done a lot of that. And that's, that's gone a long way in, you know, because you can, you can bounce ideas off them. You can, you can share your insecurities with them as long, you know, you get to be friends and that sort of thing. But, but that's helped me a lot in building uh, my content for sure. You know, here's an interesting thing. And I find this to be mind numbingly stupid of people. I will have people apply to be a guest on my show. And as you know, you filled out the form. I ask for, uh, at least a minimum of eight setup questions. And I did, I, I built that form years and years ago 
when I wasn't doing a lot of guests yet, I would have a guest here and there, and, and my, my good friend Ron Hood, who passed away years and years ago now, wanted to be on the show. So I'm like, sure, we'll have it. And we, we kind of talked on Skype like a couple weeks prior to setting it up, and here's what I think we're talking about. And when I got him on the air, I realized he and I were not in the same place. <laughs> we were we were talking about totally different it was preparedness but in totally different ways. We were not in sync because I didn't know what he thought we were talking about and he didn't know what I thought we were talking about. And we got through it, but I was like, okay, that's never happening again. So I put together mm -hmm. the form and I get people that get incensed that they'll they'll fill the form out and when it says set up questions, they'll put whatever you want to ask me. <sighs> And I either some if I look at it and I don't know who the person is at all and they don't seem interesting, I just throw that away. There are times when I'm try to be nice and I'll email back and say, "Look, if you actually want to be on the air, this is your pitch to me because I don't know you to be on the air, and you need to fill out the questions." And they don't want to do it, and I tell them to go screw right because I don't have time for you because I don't know what I'm I don't know what I'm talking to you I don't know you. I'm important. I don't think you're important. Maybe my audience doesn't think you're important. But the other side of that is everything you just said, I'm giving you a template to have all the things you want my audience to know about you and your work on my show in a way where it will happen. And you'll get the experience you want. And they don't want to do it. And it seems like the more important a person is as far as following, the more they don't want to do it. I, I've been harassed mercilessly about having Thaddeus Russell on. You know what? Thaddeus Russell doesn't want to fill out the form because he's <laughs> too important to fill out the form. He started asking me shit like, well, how many downloads do you get? And I'm like, a quarter million. You want on or you don't? And then he went away. Mm -hmm. But, like, that level of arrogance is extremely stupid in my opinion. And it's not because my show's a, a fairly large show. I think that would be stupid if you were going to be on somebody's show that had, you know, 250 listeners mm -hmm. because you have the opportunity to say, hey, these are the things I want to talk about. And I think that mindset gets into a lot of content creators' heads and it's it's toxic. Uh, Cody, Wrangler Star, was on the show years ago. We had kind of a headbutting about that. And what ended up happening there, I, I, I when I finally figured out what was going on, I understood a little bit more. Somebody from my audience said, hey, you should be on Jack's show. Here's the form to fill out. Well, he thought that was like a member of my staff, which I don't have a staff, <laughs> right? So he thought we were asking to be on, and then we were, you know, kind of hitting him up for, like, I don't want to do your work for you, whatever. And I'm like, I emailed him back. I'm like, I don't care what you want to do. It's not that important. People asked about you. You either want to be on the show or you don't. And he kind of looked the show up and went, oh, okay, this is a legit thing. But, like, I think that maybe not exactly that thing, because I don't know how many people run their guest submission the way I do, but... I think that sort of mindset with I'm better than you, so I don't need to worry about what you want, I think that infiltrates a lot of people, and it, it severely limits the growth that they're able to have. Well, I mean, even guests on The Tonight Show do that. You know, they have, what, three or four uh, pre-approved questions, or, you know, they have a story built up ahead of time so that the host can lead the guest into 
telling the story or the points that they want to do. And I mean, I, I give you 10 questions. I have four pages of notes in front of me because I'm prepared when I want to do something like this. And I want to make sure that, you know, I make the most of my opportunity and I want to make sure that I don't just get on there and ramble about nothing. You know, could I sit down and talk about content creation off the top of my head for an hour? Probably. Will I forget a thousand things? Absolutely. And I was on a podcast earlier this year that doesn't do uh, questions ahead of time. They just like to kind of do it off the cuff. It was still fun. It was a little more nerve wracking, but it's a lot harder to prepare and you always miss something. So, I mean, you know, I have all 10 questions and I've got bullet notes underneath of it because I want to make sure that I can share the stuff that I want to share. And if you're too uh, co- overconfident or ignorant to do that, you're just, you're, you're, you're cutting yourself off the legs because you want to be able to share that message that you have. I would tell any new content creator that wants to get on a bunch of podcasts, make a press kit. And part of your press kit, maybe come up with, you know, two or three or even four different topics that you could discuss and, and like a PDF, headshot, background, et cetera, suggested topics, suggested questions. Like, I don't need that from you because I've set my own automated system up to do that, but That's why I set it up. I'm like, well, Dorothy and I sat down and we talked about it. She goes, well, how would you prefer that a guest approach you? And I'd like, they would come to me with a specific topic and a specific agenda. And as soon as I said it, I'm like, oh, I got it. Like, I'm going to go to Wufu and make a form, right? Like, it was that simple. And it was like, so I'm going to make you do what you should do for yourself. Because it also lets me, I get, I get submissions all the time from people. No. This is not what my audience is here to hear about. My audience doesn't want this. And then mm-hmm. I've not wasted any time for me or for the potential guests because I know, oh, this is a guy that wants to sell, you know, um, life coaching. Yeah, not going to go over with my audience. Like, we, we, they don't need somebody to call them in the morning and remind them they're supposed to go to work. Not what we do here. You know, or like I pull up the website and it's like, okay, this is like long form, like back of the book sales bullshit or whatever. Like, like no. Uh, on the other hand, a lot of people who have no idea who they are, they don't really have a lot of a web, pre- maybe they don't even have a business, but they just have something they want to talk about, and they put, I, I read it, and I go, yeah, I'll have some chick from the wilds of Alaska to talk about eating bear meat. Of course Absolutely. I would. Why wouldn't I do that? So, like, I, I think that, like, if you're a podcaster, if that's your content creation, and you're taking guests, man, go ahead and rip off my form. Like, it's not on the site right now, because we're... We're closed down because we, we stay booked out real heavy. But, like, follow that model. Like, get the data you want. And the other thing is back to, like, what I was talking earlier about how, like, you know, putting Dorothy on the calendar for a date or whatever. It's the same thing. Like, the form comes in. It goes to Dorothy. A copy gets printed out. She co- collates that together. She handles And then it happens, right? Like, we had a guy today that he thought he had your spot because he never responded to his email. Guess oh, what? No. We'll talk to him in October. <laughs> yep. Right, because you got booked, he didn't. He didn't follow the procedure, man. You know, because we it's have simple. to. And I've, I, you know, is dark, dark, you have to be careful when you start working with your wife. But like, people would email her and set up to be on the show without doing a form, so I didn't know about it. I'm like, no, we don't do that. They come to you, you kick them back to me. We no, not not so much because I'm going to approve that form, but because. We all have to be in sync, and a, like to my big thing with this, I don't care if you're a one-man show, you need procedures that drive your business. If you mm-hmm. don't have procedures driving your business, your business drives your procedures, and that is fucking bad, 
right? Like that is that is the worst position to be in. If your business is driving your procedure, then you will not be successful or you won't be as successful as you could be. And you'll never be efficient either. Like I, you know, I like I have my procedures and I know, you know, one week a month, I know when I start putting my content together and when I prep for my live stream, you know, some people might think, oh, a live stream. Yeah, you just sit there and talk. Well, no, I, you know, I put a couple of hours worth of uh, note prep or maybe, maybe an hour ahead of time and I have a theme, you know, you want to bring it all together. But yeah, absolutely. If, if you're not, if you're not doing that again, you know, it, it's not going to work for you. Well, I mean, most people in this audience know how to find you, Tim, because you are a very valued member of our council. But let people know how they can get in touch with you, and uh, I'll make sure all your social media stuff is in the uh, show notes today as well. Absolutely. Well, you know, thanks for having me, Jack. And you guys hear me most Fridays, or sorry, Thursdays on the Expert Council at this point. But toolmantim.co, uh, toolmantim.co, that's the easiest way to find all my social links. Uh, right now, I do a Sunday night live stream talking tools. 8 o'clock Mountain Time, that's uh, 9 o'clock Central Time. I'd love for people to drop by and just interact. I always enjoy that. It's, it's a lot of fun. Eventually, I'm going to uh, implement StreamYard, where we end up uh, live streaming it over on to Float as well, and Odyssey. Uh, and you'll find my Odyssey, my Float, my MeWe, all my social media links there. And uh, also, one other thing, uh, also looking to maybe make some appearances on some other podcasts. So if there's any, if anybody has any suggestions of other ones that might be a good fit, I would love to hear as well. I'm just going to say on the StreamYard, do it. <laughs> like, I drug my feet on having like a Zoom or a StreamYard or something for so long. It was dumb. Do it. Do it this week. Like, get, get, it takes 10 seconds to set it up. You don't even have login with StreamYard. It's, it's ridiculous. Like, once you set your account up, If you're not logged in on a, a machine, you, you enter your email address, they send you a code, you enter the code, and you're, you're in. Like, it, there's literally not even an account. I don't know how they even keep track of the fact that you're paying them for the premier service, and it, it just freaking works. And if StreamYard's listening, you know what you guys need? You need a place where you can upload, instead of a video file, a freaking PDF of a deck to make presentation without screen sharing so there's not a million people in your screen doable. I'll just throw that out for the StreamYard people that aren't listening. Anyway, Tim, I had a blast talking to you today. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us, and thanks for all the work you've done to help support the community as a whole. Hey, thanks for having me, Jack. It's always appreciated. Great conversation, and if you've ever thought about building a content business, I can tell you there's nothing more there's nothing more rewarding you can do. There's nothing more liberating you can do. It's not easy. It's like, like we were honest about it. It's not something everybody can do. I think it's something anybody can do, but not everybody can do. Do you get the difference there? Almost anything in the world is something you can figure out, but it's not something everybody can do. If it was something everybody can do, well, everybody would be doing it. I promise you. The difference between everybody and anybody, you are anybody. Everybody is everybody. Does that even make sense? Do you get what I'm saying there? there? Any individual can be successful at this if they put enough into it. But most won't. That's what I'm trying to get at. If you think it's worth doing, and trust me, it is, give it a shot, but really commit. Six months of frequency and never miss. It's what it takes. Like, like Tim said, people start talking about, like, you blew up overnight or whatever. No, 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 no. It's back to the old gradually, then suddenly. 
it's work and work and work and work, and then it looks like it happens overnight, but it never does. It just looks like that to the person that's not doing the work. I remember back when TSP really started to blow up, and I had people tell me I had it easy, I got in early, whatever. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't see you bumping into my ass at 3.30 in the morning when I was coming down the stairs to my home office to get my notes together to do my show in my fucking car. Right? And, like, you weren't there. And you're still not there, because I was still doing that at that time. It's what it takes... But, God, it's worth it. With that, let me remind you, if you like the show and the work that we do, one of the ways you can help support us, do your online shopping. Where? Tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, Tspaz.com. Today's item of the day is the Oregon Self-Sharpening Chainsaws, but specifically the plug-in one. The plug-in one, I got a price alert today. It's on sale for $92. Um, I personally think that if you need to do any kind of tree trimming, cutting, small tree felling, etc., and you don't own a chainsaw and you don't buy this thing for 90 bucks. I don't know what you're waiting for. Um, the Oregon saws, again, they're self-sharpening. Now, they do use a specific chain, but every saw uses a specific freaking chain anyway, right? Um, and then they have a little stone inside them, a little lever. And what you do is you run the saw and you pull that lever for a, a couple seconds, and it just absolutely turns the chain into a razor blade. And they are very, very effective. There's a video in this, and I've been threatening to redo it, and I really need to. It's one of those mistakes. I get a lot of shit on YouTube about it because we're like, that doesn't cut very well at all. Uh, I'm cutting like a two-year-old piece of seasoned live oak. And when I did that, I was like, well, people will understand what this is. If you've ever cut seasoned live oak, it's like cutting rock. Um, but I'll tell you what, for your small, it, no electric saw is going to run with a farm boss, right? This isn't. It's not going to run with a steel or a Husqvarna. It's just not. But for what they are, they're amazing. And the, the, the cordless one is good too. It's not as powerful. You can see it in the video. But 90 bucks for an electric chainsaw that's self-sharpening, um, for the standard homeowner, acre or ground or less, needs to do some work here and there on and off, I wouldn't even buy a gas saw. I would just get one of these. I really would. You know, carrying extension cord around or whatever can be kind of a pain in the butt. But if you are in a standard size yard, it's, it's, it's probably not even worth owning a gas saw. If you do need a gas saw, then you probably still want one of these because, you know, you, you, you go ahead and drop a tree or whatever and then drag it over to where you can work on it. And, man, I'm telling you, I have never regretted it. And I have both, the, the cordless and the corded, and I have never regretted my decision to buy either one of them. They also have a lot of safety built in, but please be careful with the chainsaw. If you've never used one, you don't have any experience, you know, get somebody that knows what they're doing to teach you how to be safe because a chainsaw injury is a horrible horrible type of injury. I've seen two of them in my life. One was my father-in-law. Another one was a friend. Uh, both of them involved fingers. And one, my father-in-law, I couldn't believe how well he healed. I didn't think he, I didn't think he would ever use his hand again. Uh, so two hands on the saw at all times, follow all the safety rules. All right, with that, let's go ahead and uh, remind you guys, we also have the MSB on sale. Uh, <clears throat> the MSB is on sale for $30.00. Uh, a, a year right now, which is a hell of a deal. And if you join right now at $30 a year, you lock that price in for life. Discount code, just go to survivalpodcast.com, click on members to sign up, 
and use discount code Give Me. 30 when you sign up. That's G-I-V-E-M-E-3-0. Give me 30 and you will get $30 a, a year for as long as you stay a member. I did get a couple of people email me yesterday and said, hey, you know, you have a PayPal option, but it asks for a credit card. Yes, it does. Um, I give you the option to use either Stripe or PayPal as your payment processor, uh, but either one will require a credit or a debit card. I stopped doing um, direct PayPal subscriptions years ago. I have lost tens of thousands of dollars due to failed renewals and PayPal's unwillingness to fix it. And when I went to the uh, PayFlow system that they have using credit cards, that problem went away. They felt they they will not admit the problem. I've had customers that, that had their renewal failure try to sign back up using PayPal and be told by PayPal they suggest that they find another way to pay for it. I've had these customers get on the phone with with PayPal, be told that, tell me that, PayPal deny it, get them on the phone together in a conference call where they ha they'll say we can't discuss this customer or whatever. And then you well, there they are right there. We're in a conference call right now. I'll, go ahead. There and then they'll say well, no, that never happened. And the guys like, "Yes, it did. I just was on the phone with you and you told me I couldn't well, we don't know there's nothing wrong." And I'm like, okay, the end. That's why that's the case, guys. So um, you do have to use a, a credit card, debit card, etc. If you want to fund directly from your PayPal account, of course, you can use your PayPal debit card. You can pay by mail with a check if you want to. You can pay by crypto. And I think I have like one more lifetime membership. I'm doing lifetime membership, $250 if you pay by crypto. I think I have one left. I, I think I might be, oh, I'm not really sure. I've had people that, that said they want to do it. A lot of people did it. I think I have a couple people that I've given them an address and they haven't sent yet. So if, if you want to be a lifetime member, and I hear from you today, even if I'm a little over, I will go ahead and honor it. And instead of doing 10, maybe I do 12. But I think, I think they're mostly gone. And uh, so as of tomorrow, I'm just going to say there won't be any more options for the crypto uh, lifetime membership. Everybody else, 30 bucks a year. All right, with that, let's go ahead and uh, wrap things up with our song of the day. As I've said, I'm, gonna, I'm doing all songs this week by Jimmy Buffett that are songs that I'm going to guess that 99.9% .9 of this audience have not heard. At least. It may be lower than that. It may be less than 0.1% have heard. Um, this song is called Death of an Unpopular Poet. And here's what Buffett said about this song in an interview with High Times Magazine. I was watching Walter Cronkite one night, and he had a little blurb on that Kenneth Pachin had died. That surprised me because hardly anybody had ever heard of Pachin except in small circles. He was one of my favorite poets. So I was thinking about him, and then I thought about Richard Farina. These guys contributed so much, but they died, and we never appreciated them until afterwards. They starved their asses off and didn't get to stick around to reap the rewards. If you're going to go up there and try to make it, you're not out there totally for aesthetic value. Let's face it, you're out there to secure your future. Anybody that says they're not is totally fake. I could say that money doesn't mean anything to me. You have to pay your bills. I couldn't say that money doesn't mean anything to me. You have to pay your bills. I have to keep the band on the road. But you can still have a good time and write good songs. You don't necessarily have to prostitute your music as long as you know how to handle it. Put it in perspective. Those guys had a good time, but I'm sure they were miserable a lot of times. The success that they wanted, they never actually reached it. A couple of things about this. Um, 
the version of the song I'm going to play for you is straight off one of those CDs. So it's a straight-up studio version. The version I have linked in the show notes today, well, that version is actually where Jimmy tells more of the story. Some stuff that he was doing during lockdowns, where he was doing a lot of his old music, lesser-known music, and being you know, interviewed and explaining the song and then playing the song. Um, that's the one I have this link to. So there's about five minutes of Jimmy explaining more about this song. Additionally, it's kind of cool because he talks about how when he first started playing, like, you know, there'd be like one person in the audience. Can you imagine that going to see Jimmy Buffett? You're the only person there. Back then, he wasn't anybody, so nobody would have cared if you told him. But he said, today, for my audience, I have two dogs, and he has his own two dogs there. And he mentions to the dogs, right? And he's talking to the dogs the way that like normal dog owners talk to their dogs, you know. And he says, "You guys are going to like this one because in the end, the poet leaves all his royalties to his dog," which is a true story as well. Anyway, uh, song two in Jimmy Buffett songs you probably never heard, "Death of an Unpopular Poet." It's a really beautiful song, um, and I also chose it for today for a reason. We talked today about not everybody that goes into content creation makes it. But you know what? These poets that were really good at what they did, that tried so hard, that you know died before their ship came in, I think they would kill for the opportunity that people have today to be successful. There's more room at the top than there's ever been, and it's worth taking your shot. At least when your dash is expended, only then do people realize the value that you brought to the world. With that's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Live before his time. He and his dog spooner. Listen while he Words to make you happy. Words to make you cry Then one day the poet Suddenly did die But he left behind the closet Filled with verse and rhyme Through some strange transaction One was printed in the town And everybody's searching For the king of underground Well, they found him down in Florida With a tombstone for a crown Every Everybody knows a lie From his book that costs four ninety-nine I wonder if he knows he's doing Quite this fine Cause his books are all best-selling And his poems were turned to song Had his brother on a talk show Though they never got along And now he's called immortal 
Yes, he's even taught in school They say he used his talents A most proficient too But he left all of his royalties To Spooner, his old hound Growing old on steak and bacon In a doghouse ten feet around And everybody wonders Did he really lose his mind? No, he was just a poet Who lived before his time He was just a poet Who lived before his time 